Hello and slightly later than normal, welcome to episode 227 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. This week we head to South Wales to look at a really complex case of murder. It's a fascinating story. You will know by now that I'm running live events online as a UK True Crime Live with Chantelle from the Lady Justice Podcast. This Thursday at 7.30, I'm really looking forward to it. We're talking to top true crime author Christopher Berry D. The format is me and Chantal chatting to Christopher for 15 minutes or so. It's over to you to ask your questions. Tickets are free, so get yours now. Just search Crowdcast Adam Lloyd or head to UKTrueCrime.com to get your tickets. I'll see you there. As always, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially these new members of this exclusive club. That's Ellie McBeef, Amy Killick, Andrea Davis, Sarah Heron, Nick Smith and Leia Bigory. Thank you so much for all your support, which is much appreciated. And please do drop me your mailing address so I can send you some goodies. If you're not a member yet, why not join us at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. You must have heard of Best Fiends, right? There are over 100 million global downloads. Everyone's playing it, including me, and I reckon that you should too. Best Fiends challenges your brain with fun puzzle levels. But it's a casual game, so you can play it when you have just 15 minutes free, and you don't need internet connection either. I really enjoy the puzzles, which are challenging enough to really make me think And I love collecting the cute characters which help you on future levels. Best Fiends is great to play with friends and family in these times when we can't physically meet. And Best Fiends updates the game every month with new themed events and challenges so there are always exciting new parts of the game to explore. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5 star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Let's set some context to today's story and play the Guest of the Month and Year game. There have been some great cover versions over the years, but the song at the top of the UK music charts certainly wasn't one of them. It was McFly with Don't Stop Me Now. If only somebody had. In the US, it was Nelly Furtado featuring Timberland with Promiscuous. In the news this month, it was the Football World Cup final, where Italy beat France on penalties. Top of the Pops was broadcast for the last time on BBC Two after 42 years. I bet you remember watching it too, right? When I was little, it was a must-watch on a Thursday night. I'm that old. And the Scottish Socialist Party MSP Thomas Sheridan began his legal action against the News of the World for libel at the Court of Session in Edinburgh. What could possibly go wrong, Tommy? Did you get the month and year? It was July 2006. This week's episode takes place in Swansea in South Wales. A place of great memories from my university days spent in South Wales. Nights on the Mumbles Mile, lots of surfing. A man who made a longer-lasting impression in this great city was poet Dylan Thomas, who was born in Swansea and lived here for 23 years. Jasper Rehal was part of a strict Sikh family in Kent. She worked as a civil servant at the Admiralty in London 
which is where she met a handsome and charismatic man called Stephen Marsh, who was from Swansea. The relationship quickly progressed and they became a couple. At first, Jasper's family weren't happy about it, as they wanted their daughter to marry someone from the same faith. But they came round and they grew to like Stephen, and the young couple went ahead and got married in 1993. After that, they left the civil service and moved to Brighton, where they ran an off-license, before managing a number of pubs in London together. It was a good life, where this sociable couple enjoyed the lifestyle and they were super popular with their customers. Sure, Stephen was drinking a bit more than was good for him, and it caused the odd niggle between the couple, but they were a loving, committed couple. Or so Jasper thought. But even at this time, Stephen was secretly having a string of affairs. He had a high sex drive, he enjoyed the flirting, and he just couldn't seem to stop himself. After a few years, the couple decided to make the move from London, and they headed to Swansea, where they ran a big popular city centre pub called the Goose and Granite in Wind Street, before taking over the Quadrant Gate Boozer. By now they were both tiring a bit of the lifestyle and they wanted more normality in their lives. So Stephen took a job in a call centre, working on the Vodafone account, while Jasper entered the exciting rock and roll world of insurance at Admiral. They were happy, but Stephen wanted more excitement from life. At home, Jasper was amazing around the house. She ironed all his clothes and laid them out ready for him as well as carrying out all those other chores such as washing and cleaning that must always be dealt with in a house. By now Stephen was drinking heavily, really heavily, usually at least 10 pints of cider a day, starting in the morning and going right throughout to the evening. He would judge himself as a functioning alcoholic. But every Sunday Stephen went to church at St Michael's in Gorsinan, which is where they live just on the outskirts of Swansea. Every day, Stephen would kiss his 36-year-old wife goodbye and tell her, I love you, you're beautiful, as she drops him off at work. To the outsider, it looked like a perfect family life, a couple deeply in love. But as we hear so often on this podcast, the life that the couple were leading, which to outsiders seemed a very happy one, was not all it seemed to be. For the four years they'd been in Swansea, Stephen had been having a number of affairs. Some were just one-night flings, and many women rejected him. He was always trying. But there are four women with whom he had a significant affair with, and Swansea isn't like London, where people can melt into the large crowd. Keeping your business to yourself there is much more of a challenge. Stephen had met Natalie Yem at the Quadrant Gate, and they had an eight-month affair which she saw as just a bit of fun on the side. She was fully aware that Stephen was married, and she went into the relationship with her eyes wide open. Stephen told Natalie that he liked to be cut with a knife to feel pain, and that he would like her to drink his blood. Natalie just dismissed this as a fantasy, and she didn't take it any further in her time with him. Next was Julie Owens, who lived very close to Stephen in Gorsinan and they stuck up the proverbial two fingers to those who say romance is dead as they waited almost an hour after meeting to have sex after initially chatting on an internet forum. 
Julie didn't realise that Stephen was married. He admitted that detail until after they slept together. And she was rightly annoyed that Stephen had lied to her. And the relationship didn't continue for too much longer. But even during this short time, Stephen was very clear that he liked his girlfriend to hurt him. And he asked her to walk in stilettos across his back to draw blood. And also to use a knife and then lick it off. Judy told him this wasn't her thing and Stephen seemed to be okay with this. And a bit later, after they'd split, he sent Judy a text saying that he'd now found somebody else who was willing to do what he liked. His next affair was with a vulnerable drug addict, Michelle Hayes, who was just 15 when she first met Stephen. They had an affair and were so close that Stephen actually became a godfather to a child she had in another relationship. Once more, Stephen was very keen for Michelle to inflict pain on him during sex and to cut him with a knife and to lick off the blood. But once more, Michelle made it clear that this wasn't something that she wanted to do and Stephen didn't push it. It was with Michelle that Stephen spoke about just how good it would be if someone killed his wife. But Michelle just brushed it off. Then in October 2005, Stephen met Rebecca Harris at the call centre where he worked. Very soon after she joined, they developed a sexual relationship. Rebecca, who lived just a few miles away from him in Morriston, was in her mid-twenties, and she lived with her ex-businessman husband Ron, who was 40 years older than Rebecca, and their young son. They had a passionate affair, calling and texting each other at all times of the day and night. And finally, Stephen had found a partner who was happy to cut him with a knife and drink the blood and let him do the same to her. The first time this happened was in his car when Stephen produced a penknife and asked Rebecca to make cuts on his back and arm. As she did so, she could see that she had pleased him greatly. And this became part of their routine during sex, often happening in his marital bed when Jasper was in Kent visiting her family or working at the insurance company. Stephen also regularly cut Rebecca sometimes when she was blindfolded and tied to the bed. He recorded these sessions on his mobile phone. Then around May 2006, Stephen would begin to talk to Rebecca about killing his wife. And not just Jasper, they also discussed the possibility of killing Rebecca's husband, Ron. Although the couple did not pursue their plans with Ron, the intensity of their affair saw a marked change in Rebecca's attitude to her husband, and she began to bully him and be violent. On one occasion, she even threatened him with a bread knife. Ron wanted a divorce, as he worried about the impact of her increasingly erratic behaviour on their young son. But the couple did continue to talk about killing Jasper, and they agreed that Rebecca would do this with the same chopping knife that they'd used to pleasure each other in Stephen's bedroom. On Friday, July the 28th, 2006, the company where Stephen and Rebecca worked held a social called the Payday Bash and they decided that this would be the day when they would put their murderous plan into action. The social event was at Idol's Wine Bar in the centre of Swansea. Stephen had told Jasper that he would be drinking heavily and staying at a friend's sofa in the city that night so he wouldn't be home. What he'd actually done is arranged to meet his previous lover, Natalie Yems, which would also give him an alibi, but she cancelled it at the last moment, 
so he frantically called and texted other women to meet him with no success. He even called his ex Judy Owens to see if they could spend a night of passion together, but she refused as she'd met somebody else. Eventually, running out of options, he agreed to meet a male friend of his called Andy Byrne. At about 9.30pm, Stephen left Idols, heading to another bar to meet his pal. Whilst it was around 11.45, just before midnight, when Rebecca left Idols, got back to her Mazda, and then made the 10-minute journey to Gorsinan and to Stephen's house to kill Stephen's wife. At this stage, Stephen was unaware that his wife had found out all about the affair with Rebecca. She actually had Rebecca's number on her mobile phone under the heading bitch, and she had asked the Admiral's HR team if she could revert to her maiden name at work. It was clear that she knew that her marriage was coming to an end. What she of course could never have guessed is that her husband wanted her dead. And you wouldn't have guessed from his actions. In fact, just that night he sent Jasper the text saying, I'm still with Andy in the potter's wheel. Leave the front door open. I'm getting a lift home. Love you. Four kisses. And the two men did head to the potter's wheel for drinks. But whilst just blending in as part of the normal Friday night scene, just two guys having a drink together, Stephen was secretly sending Rebecca texts telling her to do it, just do it. At closing time, the two men went back to Andy's house and they played FIFA football against each other on the PlayStation. Andy even got annoyed with Stephen at one stage. As Stephen kept delaying their game to text, he thought it was tactics to pull him off. At one stage, Rebecca texted him saying, I've been seen, it's over. But Stephen wasn't taking no for an answer and he kept insisting that she did it. And in the end, he even told Rebecca that he would adopt her five-year-old son as his own. It was this final text that Rebecca later said was the clincher as she approached Stephen's house. Rebecca parked nearby and paused outside. She took a deep breath and walked up to the door which was open as Stephen had asked. The family dog was so used to seeing Rebecca at the house that he didn't bark at Rebecca when she went into the kitchen to pick up the knife she'd used so many times with Stephen. Rebecca went up the stairs and attacked Jasper in her bed. There was a ferocious struggle as Jasper fought for her life, but to no avail. And at just 38 years old, Jasper died in her own bedroom. Rebecca had stabbed her 38 times with 22 of those being penetrating wounds. The knife was left plunged in Jasper's chest as Rebecca fled this scene of utter horror. The pathologist later said that at least one of the stab wounds had severed a major artery to the heart and this was the cause of death. Harris confirmed by text that Jasper was dead and Marsh continued to send texts to his wife throughout the night even though he knew that she was no longer alive. He also sent a text to his lover Harris saying the following, You're a star, love you. The next morning the pair met outside Andy Byrne's house and then Marsh went off to work as usual at the call centre. CCTV evidence would later show Rebecca at her superstore buying washing materials, no doubt to clean her bloodstained clothes. She had in fact been up at 6am that morning 
desperately trying to clean her gear. Her husband later said, She did three washes that morning. I knew something was wrong. I knew because in between she was smoking continually, which she never really did. After work, the pair met up again for a quick drink before Marsh went home, knowing exactly what he would find. It was 6.51pm on Saturday the 29th of July when Marsh called the emergency services to say that he'd found his wife dead at their home. The police were immediately suspicious and it was his mobile phone use that led to Stephen Marsh being charged with murder. He had tried to delete most of his texts and calls, but they could be recovered, including one text from Harris which said, She fought and screamed, I'm shaking so much. Later, in court, facing murder charges, Marsh said that he was drunk that night and couldn't even recall receiving the texts. But his friend Andy Byrne gave evidence that Marsh wasn't drunk at all that evening as they played the football game together. In court, Rebecca Harris admitted murder and told the jury how she'd been forced into committing the act by Stephen Harris. When asked for his view on his ex-lover, Rebecca Harris, the woman who'd murdered his wife, Marsh said, I have no opinion of Rebecca. I tried to block her out of my mind. The jury found both guilty. When the verdict was announced, there were cheers and screams from the public gallery. Rebecca Harris ran away from the dock in floods of tears. 36-year-old Stephen Marsh was sentenced to 18 years in prison for persuading Rebecca Harris, aged 30, to stab his wife Jasper to death at their marital home. Harris was given a 12-year sentence for carrying out the murder. In his sentencing remarks, the judge said, It was a well-planned killing. I'm tempted to say an execution. He told Marsh, You are manipulative and devious and persuaded Rebecca to kill Jasper. Turning to Harris, he said, You were influenced by him. No doubt you knew full well what you were about. It is chilling to think of you, a young mother, driving to Gorsino to carry out a murder in a manner that was so violent. Speaking outside the court, Jasper's brother, Sukdeep, said the family were unhappy with the sentence. He added, Whilst acknowledging that nothing will bring my sister back, the punishment handed out does not, in our opinion, fit the crime. My sister was killed as a result of a planned and premeditated act. Whilst justice was done when the guilty verdict was reached, the sentence feels like a smack in the face to everyone involved with bringing the pair to justice, and we are all extremely disappointed. A colleague at Admiral Insurance in Swansea, where Jasper worked, read out a statement on behalf of her colleagues paying tribute to her. It said, In a professional sense, Jazz was a committed, passionate and valued member of the department. However, many of us were lucky enough to go beyond the working relationship and get to know her as a friend. Jazz meant so much to us, more than simple words can say. We just want to say that she was a unique and wonderful person and that we miss her. Jazz spoke of her family often with us and we've been privileged to get to know them personally over the past few months. They are very strong, dignified and loving and have embraced us with open arms. Rebecca Harris's husband Ron 
divorced his wife, calling her actions vile. He said she could be very violent to the extent she could lose her mind, she could lose her head, she didn't know what she was doing. She was a control freak, selfish and ugly inside. And as for Marsh, well, he continued to protest his innocence and even asked an eight-year-old to create a website to show this. At least that's how the site looks. He claimed it must have been someone else who killed his wife, not on the Friday night, but on the Saturday, saying, I'll never get over the shock of losing Jazz in such a violent and shocking way. Only the incredible support of all the people who've written to me, visited me, delivered leaflets, yeah, whatever he's saying. Anyway, Stephen Marsh remains in prison. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Check out the pictures online and see if you can work out what made Stephen Marsh so attractive to a number of women. I don't see it. I guess he must have had some serious charisma. But I wonder if, like me, you're thinking, why did he pursue this terrible plan? Why not just divorce his wife? And the plot itself. Surely it was never going to be successful. So if it wasn't such a terrible, violent attack, you'd just call him plain stupid. But of course, terrible it was. His poor wife, Jasper, lying asleep in bed. And her last moments must have been so frightening, being brutally attacked by this strange woman brandishing a large knife. And this was when it was clear that she knew that the relationship was over due to his infidelity. Just such a waste of Jasper's life when she had so much more to give. I wonder what you make of Rebecca Harris's role in this. Was she just weak, vulnerable and manipulated? Maybe. But if you were in a similar situation, could you actually have gone through with it to somebody's house and with the knife? I think not. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspects of UK True Crime, please join 60,000 of us on the Facebook group. And to support the show and catch the bonus episodes and all the other behind-the-scenes news, please head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. So that is it for me for another week. Do join me on Thursday at 7.30pm for UK True Crime Live, where me and Chantal are chatting with top author and serial killer expert Christopher Berry D. Just search Crowdcast Adam Lloyd. And if you'd like me to publish your book, do head to Crime Publishing Network and we can make it happen really quickly and painlessly. We've just signed our contract on our first book this week. So exciting. So on that note of joy, until we speak again next week, please do take it easy. And despite all the others, trust me, I do know. Please stay classy.